Hi there. <laughs> How's it going? It's going well. We weren't we weren't planning on recording today. No, Ra- Rachel came over for Easter. It's Easter. Happy Easter, everyone. If happy you celebrate. Eastora and Happy Passover. And I think is Ram. I think Ramadan's going on right now. Sure. Happy all of that. Happy everything. Go get your eggs. Go get your eggs. And eat good food. <laughs> You've already probably gotten your eggs. Celebrate the spring. Yeah. Summer is coming. Yeah. Life exists. Beltane's almost here. Yes. <laughs> Rachel and I already are planning on celebrating that. And so. he is risen if you are Christian. Yeah, you're welcome or something. I don't know. <laughs> or as no. we like to call it Zombie Jesus Day. Zombie Jesus Day. <laughs> but yeah, Rachel came over and I was like, I'm writing because I've been in on a writing streak. And she was like, well, I'm going to bring my laptop and I'm going to work on the episode. And then all of a sudden she's like, I'm done with the episode. Let's record. I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> We're doing this. <laughs> So well, we're doing this. Yeah, it's funny because um, I literally was like, am I in the mood to start this this week? And I like, I had a few days during the week where I did maybe an hour after work, yeah. a little bit of writing. And I just kept going. And then Friday came and I was like, oh, I'm kind of on a, on a groove. But I didn't think, I thought I was just going to get the bulk of it done today because I had D&D yesterday. Usually yeah. I write on Saturdays. Um, but I just... I had a lot of background info from the Catherine de Medici episodes. Oh, yeah. So that made it a little easier. And now like for the next episode, I'm going to have to do, I started to do a little bit of the Scottish research. But I'm going to have to do more of it to really familiarize myself with the politics yeah. there. Yeah. I don't, we'll think get I, know, of it. I don't think I know any Scottish politics. It's more religious bullshit. That's fair. Okay. So it's I don't care. It's literally going to be the same thing. <laughs> great. Great. <laughs> At least for this time period. But, Hello, um, Jasmine. but yeah. Welcome. I am good. I I didn't ask. I'm just kidding. You did. You did. I did. At the beginning. No, by the way, this is Difficult Damsels. Oh, yeah. It's a podcast. About oh. badass women in history. Hell yeah. Woo. Um, that's our, that's our theme right there. <laughs> That's Kat, the one being mean to me. I'm always mean and you love it. It's because it's airy season. It is. Who am I? Oh, yeah, you're Rachel. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> um, did you guys ever end up doing that um, full moon ritual? Because I realized when I left last night that... We didn't. We didn't do I'm it. Ho- oh, it's the full moon's in... I mean, it is still a full moon. It's just yeah. in Scorpio now. I, I did... That quick, huh? <laughs> I did my own moon stuff yesterday. Yeah, like I made moon water and I wrote a thing. But if you want, we can still, it's still full. You can do a relief ceremony. You can do it if you want. Okay. I'm always down. Hell yeah. Stuff. I just, yeah, I like, I was driving home and I was like, well, first of all, I was like, shit, I literally left every single toy that Thor had <gasps> oh, scattered no. throughout the whole house. <laughs> no, they were every they were the dog's toys at the house. Like it was their toys. He just yeah, cat- scattered them throughout the whole house. And I texted Rachel, the other Rachel, and I was like, I'm so sorry. I just realized that I did not clean up after my dog, and she's like, my dog's a So our listeners <laughs> don't know what this is about. It's fine. They you... don't need to. It's a mystery. So, so Kat isn't part of D&D, but she swung by yesterday because we're I all was the, I was the, mutual uh, friends. Girlfriend that hung out. Yeah, she's, she's my girlfriend. I'm <laughs> um, just hanging out in the background. Um, 
but yeah, so we did that. Yeah, we didn't have time. We just kept playing. Yeah. Hey, I, I had a great time <laughs> yesterday. Like it was. I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I was social, but I also got a lot of shit done with writing. So you got to be your life. version of social, which is yeah. like there, but like also. Hi, I'm corner. gonna be over here in the corner. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. That's like the beauty of finding your people is we all understand yeah. if we need to like take a chill break for a yeah. little bit like I had to go outside for a little bit because you were dying I ate too much food <laughs> yeah oh, man. but yeah and it was good yeah. for work so I think it was, it was good, good for every and good for everyone <laughs> Django uh was one of the dogs at the um yes. the people who hosted he was like acting all aggressive when Thor got there but by the end they were They're besties. Best friends. He was mirroring him. It was so cute. The other the other <laughs> Rachel who owns that house. Um we call her married Rachel, or at least I do. Um <laughs> she uh she texted me and said that um the second everyone left, Django just like sat by the door and whined. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. Poor guy. <laughs> He's yeah. like, where'd my friend go? But yeah, it was a good it was a good uh I'm glad I got you out. Yeah, You'd okay. said you needed more social interaction. And I was like, hey, why don't you come? I'm just happy <laughs> that I was, like like I said, that I was able to like yeah. bring my stuff. Because I, if I had to stop writing, I would have been like, um, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am very grateful that I got these past couple of weeks off. I was able to um, see my family for the first time oh, in like yeah. for two years. That's um, and actually like just be present with them and... I had a little bit of a break leading up to it so I could kind of just relax and gear up for it. And then the week back got to relax Hell for the most yeah. part. And then I was like, you know what? I'm in the mood to start writing again. So Hell we yeah. have an episode for you. Welcome to the show. Um, I almost want to do like at, in the beginning of this episode, like fanfare to do welcome it. us back. I don't, Hell I have yeah. sound effects? I'm, sound effects? Sound effects. <laughs> Oh, guys, it's sure. been a while since we've uh, Sure, talked. you could find a trumpet thing <laughs> online or... Yeah. There's there's things. Things. Thingamaboggers. Things. Thingamabobs. <laughs> Thingamajigs. Thingamajigs. What is I happening? Don't, I don't know. <laughs> you know, this is going to be an interesting episode because I wrote it, but normally I read it out loud like the day before. Yeah. Well, I want to like make sure the sentences make sense okay. and also normally I have more hard words to prove pronounced but a lot of them are from previous episodes so we've already pronounced them wrong except for one scottish palace i'm about to get into Ooh, um so we'll see how that goes but yes so yeah i forgot what i was saying yes, so yeah i did the thing oh yeah i, I just i haven't had a chance to read over this so as oh, we're yeah. going i it might be it's a little okay. i'll just have to edit awkward. my ass off it's fine my ass off not mine but the, the podcast Oh, okay. I was I like, you can that. edit your ass, I guess, no. if you want. I mean, you can, but it requires <laughs> a lot of working out. I'm just not here for it. Well, you are listening to episode 36, and this is part one of Mary, Queen of Scots. Hell yeah! I saw the part one. I got really excited. <laughs> I, I was thinking it was going to be just two parts, but um, it may turn into three. We'll see. So we've already kind of sort of met Mary. Yes, we've met. fun. We've met, and this is In all... Person. <laughs> This is all, part one is all French Mary. Okay. So, but I'm going to give you a lot of context for what's going on in Scotland and England too. Okay. So. Bullshit. I, <laughs> some more bullshit. Throw in some religious babble. <laughs> I would say Mary Queen of Scots is probably, um, this is going to be the tragic story of yeah. Mary Queen of Scots because I think most people know how it ends. It ends with her head on a cutting board. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, 
And I think this is going to be one of the first. I don't think it's on a cutting board. <laughs> it's on a block. On a, yeah. Cutting, you, when you say cutting board, I'm like, <laughs> we're going to have her for dinner. <laughs> mm. Oh, no. <laughs> it is the day of cannibalism for. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I think this is going to be one of the first times where when we end this and we ask ourselves, was she more difficult or more damsel? We might end up with a damsel. Okay. okay. We'll see. She has some difficult moments. Okay. But, um. Part one, as you're going to find out when we get into it, is she's going to kind of be a bystander in her own story. Like, this is going to be a lot of context, but I think the context is important for her story because most people only ever focus on, most people, most television shows, most movies, um, they only really focus on the rivalry of Elizabeth and Mary, but they don't give you the religious context behind it. And as we learned with Catherine because de' Medici, you can't, you can't talk bad on religion, but you can totally talk bad <laughs> on women and make them catty and awful. Well, what and... did what did we learn about Catherine de' Medici? Oh, lots of stuff. <laughs> lots of not great stuff, but a lot of it was out of her control. That's true. That's so true. that's what we're gonna learn here. This is what I'm here for. Um, I'm really glad my cat decided to eat right then. <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna give you some historical context for the time period that you've probably heard before. Let us all be shocked. Hold on. <laughs> Okay, we're shocked. <laughs> All right. So in 1543, Copernicus publishes his theory that the Earth and other planets revolve around the sun. Blasphemy. 1547, King Henry VIII dies in England and King Francis I of France also dies. Adios, Same year. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Every no, time no, no. Please do that. That's great. <laughs> in 1553, Mary Tudor becomes the first queen regnant of England. Okay. <laughs> she burns a lot of people. Yeah. That's why she's Bloody Mary. Yeah. We're going to get into that one day Hell yeah, very yeah. soon. <laughs> in 1558, Elizabeth Tudor becomes Queen of England. What up? After her sister. What up? <laughs> in 1560, Jean the Queen declares Calvinism as the official religion of Navarre. Jean the Queen! Jean the Queen! <laughs> Go listen to the episode. <laughs> in 1562, the massacre of Wasi occurs in France and kicks off the first war of religion in France. In 1563, a plague breaks out in England and kills over 80,000 people. That's a lot of people. 20,000 people died in London alone. Whoa. Yep. That's probably... Pl- plagues have been a thing since, like, yeah. time yeah. memorandum. Yeah. Is that a word? Mm, it is now. It is now. <laughs> in 1570, Pope Pius V issues a papal bull against Queen Elizabeth of England excommunicating all who willingly obey her and sanctioning Catholics in England to rebel against her. In 1571, American Indians kill Spanish missionaries in what is now Jamestown, Virginia. Am I allowed to cheer that? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's murder. It's so murder, it's, but... <laughs> but also, it's it's like colonization in the Americas. Yeah. Anyway, that is happening alongside all of this. Oh, uh, America is being colonized by the European countries. It's not a fun time for that. No. Sorry. It's not for anybody. <laughs> in 1572, Catherine de Medici instigates the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre in France. And we're all still really mad about it. Yep. <laughs> yes. Uh, go listen to episode or part three of Catherine de Medici. Yeah. It's all about that. And then in 1587, Mary, Queen of Scots, is executed by Elizabeth I of England. Spoiler alert. I was going to say, did you just give the ending away? I don't think that's a sort of context. I think the episode's over. (laughs) I bet you want the context, though, do you? I definitely do, yes. 
Hasn't it been worth it so far? I mean, I started the Catherine de Medici episodes with the Saint Bartholomew's Day Massacre in the timeline, true. and you didn't know what the fuck that yeah, was. Yeah, I wasn't aware though. So, <laughs> well, we're gonna lead up to this execution. Oh, so, well, that's upsetting. I'm sorry. <laughs> I knew it was a thing. I it's just... it's it's a, a very sad and tragic story. So, yeah. Welcome, welcome <laughs> to the shit show. So Mary Stewart was born on December 8th, 1542 in Linlithgow Palace, Scotland. God bless you. I hope I said that right. <laughs> I, sp- I, say- I said it phonetically. Who said it phonetically? That probably means it's wrong. Probably. It's <laughs> it probably is like little... <laughs> Yeah, there's probably some burrs in there. I mean, it looks like Linlithgow. Whatever. <laughs> Tell it's me fine. I'm wrong. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong, I'll ignore you. And she was the daughter of King James V of Scotland and Mary of Guise. Um, and Mary Stuart. <laughs> there's gonna be a lot of Marys in this, by the way. I'm already, yeah. Well, there's like the two main ones, but there's some other ones. Yeah, that's my name. Um, so I apologize for all the Marys in this episode. Anyway, so Mary Stuart, she comes from quite the pedigree on both sides of her family. Through her father, Mary was the grandniece of Henry VIII of England. Yeah, I'm sorry. Mary's paternal grandmother was Margaret Tudor, who had been Henry VIII's sister. Yep. That's, that's where her claim to the English throne comes from. All right. Mary's mother, Mary of Guise, had been the scion of a powerful and wealthy noble French family that was incredibly close to the French throne. You know all about the Guise. I was going to say family. the, the Fran- one family that we all hate. That yes. uh, Catherine warned us about. Or no, what was his name? Francis Francois or Francis the First? Yeah, France. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he warned, warned us about. Yeah, he warned us about. He did. Yep. And and Henry the Second didn't listen. And then Catherine was like, "Fuck." <laughs> but also, I'm going to need your help when I need your help. So fuck off. <laughs> so Mary's uncles were Francois and Charles of Guise, both besties to King Henry the Second of France. I wrote England on here, but it was France. <laughs> and the absolute bane of Catherine de Medici's early years. Yes. And later years. Yes. All her years. All her years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Francois of Guise was a French military hero and leader who fought in France's war with Spain. Charles of Guise was a spiritual leader for the Catholic French party and Cardinal of Lorraine. Both of Mary's uncles were positioned very closely to the French throne, and this will come into play very soon here. Joy. <laughs> Mary's mother, Mary of Guise, <laughs> had initially been married to a French nobleman, but after he died, she became one of the most eligible bachelorettes in all of Europe. There were two famous suitors for her hand. Can you guess who they were? Somebody of France. You know some- one of them because she married him, and that's Mary's father. I don't remember. King James. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> guess who the other one was? Charles. It's somebody who had a lot of wives. Henry. Mm-hmm. Henry yeah. VIII. Yep. She's like, must I marry him? He doesn't like to hold on to wives. <laughs> um. So Mary of Guise rejected Henry VIII's proposal, famously saying, I may be a big woman, but I have a very little neck. <laughs> By this point, Henry VIII had divorced his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, and had executed his second wife, Anne Boleyn. That's fair. <laughs> mm-hmm. In the end, she was I married. I have a very little neck. <laughs> she was like, it won't. That's amazing. It won't work. You won't be able to you find my neck to cut it off. I cut this off. 
It's not gonna happen. Think about how like cheeky that is to like that's reject amazing. a king. I love it. That's, and in that way, I'm like, girl, Mary we're Stewart's best mother. It's the one keys we kind of like. Okay, fine. Maybe we'll see. Oh god. <laughs> in the end, Mary of Guise was married off to King James V of Scotland to solidify the alliance France was seeking with Scotland. Having recently been widowed himself, James V hoped that the famously fertile Guise family would bring him luck as his previous marriage failed to produce any legitimate children. That statement makes me want to wring some necks. (laughs) (laughs) So um, King James famously had like a lot of bastards and one of them will go on to become Mary Queen of Scots, um, like chief advisors. That'll be the later episode that we get into that. Hell yeah. Part five of Mary Queen of Scots. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Not going to be that long, I promise. (laughs) Um, And he lucked out. James and Mary of Guise would go on to have three children together, though Mary's two older brothers would end up dying before she was born. Well, that's unfortunate. Well, it's about to get more unfortunate. that's fair. Like, very quickly. Like, right now. Like, right, (laughs) immediately right now. (laughs) So, tragedy would end up touching Mary for most of her life, and it started at her birth. As Mary of Guise was entering the final months of her pregnancy, James V was engaged in a war with England and suffered a series of losses. James wrote to his wife at one point, claiming to be very sick, but recovering. A thing he apparently did a lot. He apparently got sick. They all get sick a lot. It's fair. I mean, don't (laughs) drink the water. (laughs) Unfortunately, six days after Mary was born, Mary of Guise got horrifying news. (gasps) James V had not fully recovered and had died of what so many promising kings have died of in the past. Dysentery! Said it. Don't drink the water. There are dead bodies in it. Okay. <sighs> and so Mary Stewart he didn't die of drinking himself to death. Death like Tayuta's husband did. So, uh, fair. I mean, Okay, one died by drinking himself to death, and the other died because he probably drank water that had dead bodies in it because they were fighting. (laughs) Which is worse. (laughs) One of them tastes a little funny. Okay, Rachel! (laughs) Sorry. And so Mary Stewart became Mary Queen of Scots at six days old. Oh my god. No pressure, right? Jesus. Um, Hey, infant who, um doesn't have her eyes open no that's kittens you can't speak (laughs) (laughs) just imagine what do you what do you think we should do right now (laughs) why wait why did she become the queen because she was the only legitimate heir why didn't her mother become queen her mom was queen but the king by blood was james so she's no longer queen she becomes technically the queen mother okay I just don't understand why you just can't make her a queen until the kid's old enough. But here I am well, with logic. and Okay, know. there are precedents in place to put regents in place, which I I'm know. about to talk about. I know, it's just stupid. <laughs> why bring someone else in the picture? There's already a person who's been helping out, but here I am. Anyway, let me, <laughs> let me give you some context of the political and religious climate. You've already kind of sort of touched on it a little bit. Me? Or yeah, me? you did. Yeah. Cool. Great, so, how'd I do that? <laughs> anyway, you're going to find out. Okay. <laughs> So Mary came into a world that was witnessing a drastic political and religious change across Europe. Scotland and England were perpetually at war, and when Henry VIII broke away from the Roman Catholic Church to form his own Church of England, because boo-hoo, I want a new life, Mary's father became the new favorite Catholic son of the British Isles. 
Just as England broke away from the Roman Catholic Church, a new religious movement known as the Reformation was beginning to spread across Europe. This marked a split in Christianity that would lead to the uprising of Protestantism. Over in France, Lutheranism and Calvinism, which are branches of Protestantism, were spreading and causing discord within the country. Why does it have to be so complicated? It's, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm bringing Scottish and English politics into this. It's going to get yeah. very complicated. Okay. <laughs> so Henry II of France would go on to severely prosecute anyone that spoke out in favor of the Reformation and publish literature that favored Protestantism. James V handled matters in Scotland similarly, openly prosecuting so-called Protestant heretics and burning them at the stake, just as France had under Henry II. Jesus. Uh, pause. You said similarly. If you want to say it and say similarly, you can. But I'll, if you don't, don't worry about it. Is it technically accurate? Or uh, no? I mean... Whatever, I'll do it I don't think again. anyone will care, but... <laughs> but you know what? Keep you, this. I'm I just saying, care. if you care... I don't care. Okay. I don't care. Okay. I'm lost. That's fair. (laughs) Okay. Scotland and France were already openly allied at this point, not just through shared religious beliefs, but also through marriage, as James had taken a French noblewoman for a wife on two different occasions. Um, So France and Scotland very much wanted to maintain that marriage alliance. Yeah. Yeah, because if you don't, then you're fighting. You're either married or fair. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) This bond would continue to be important during Mary's early years. As you can imagine, becoming a queen at only six days old makes for a very precarious situation. Yeah. With James V dead and the queen, a literal newborn, there was a sudden power vacuum in Scotland. So, of course, that meant all the men were clamoring to fill it. Can I marry the six-day-old child? Fortunately, there was none of that. But (laughs) anyway, so in the end, a man named James Hamilton, who was the Earl of Aran, 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 probably Aran. I'm I'm gonna go with Aran, 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 Aran. I don't know. That's probably wrong. I'm gonna go with Aran. I didn't look it up. Whatever. Anyway, he was named (laughs) as Mary's regent. Okay. Where the hell is Aran? Aran. Iran. Iran. I don't know. Okay. I didn't look it up. Not yet, anyway. Okay. What we do need to know is that Hamilton was the heir after Mary due to being the grandson of a different King James of Scotland. I think it was like James II. Oh, so it's one Hamilton. of those Can't like... Get away from the names. No. Jesus! <laughs> James is a big name in Scotland. That's interesting because it's so... Plain? Yeah. I didn't want to say that, but yeah. <laughs> like Francis of France. it's kind of fun when you say it as Francis of France (laughs) even during her infancy Mary was probably considered one of the most eligible bachelorettes of all of Europe there were two potential husbands that were put forth for her right from the start each backed by various political factions in Scotland can you guess who they were political factions no, who the two marriage prospects were for a little Look, infant I already failed this earlier. I'm not doing You know one of them. She marries him. Why is your eye twitchy? Francis! Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, don't don't judge me, okay? <laughs> Trying to look up around. You, you can't guess who the second one was? What country is right nearby that wants to take over Scotland? The really south Ireland. of it. No, it's wrong. 
I don't know. Stop asking. You're going to feel so silly. Okay. I know. I, I, I constantly feel silly, Rachel. So Mary's regent was pro-Protestant at the time, and Hamilton schemed with Henry VIII of England to try and marry the infant Scottish queen off to Henry VIII's son and heir, Edward. Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Henry VIII hoped to use this union to unite England and Scotland under one banner. Um, on the Catholic side of things was Cardinal Beaton, who was the leader of the pro-French faction and Catholic faction in Scotland. And he worked instead to betroth Mary to the Dauphin of France. Dauphin. It was Francis. Oh <laughs> right from the start, Mary found herself dodging danger while she was still in her swaddling clothes. Dodging the Catholic... <laughs> The Catholic faction of France wanted to move an infant Mary away from the coast of Scotland, where they feared an English invasion might put her in danger. But Hamilton refused. Every time you say Hamilton, I can't. You think of Hamilton. <laughs> I know. I do, too. Well, it was either that or calling him the Earl of Arran, and I don't know if that's right. <laughs> um, anyway, he refused until a troop of 3,500 armed men showed up to Linlithgow castle to whisk mary and her mother away to sterling castle 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 <laughs> so if you pull up the picture i saw the picture so sterling castle was more inland and one of the most defensible castles in scotland as it's as it sits surrounded by three cliff faces yes it's literally one of the most difficult castles to siege. assault or siege yeah yeah <laughs> um so i think one of the picture i use shows just one of the cliff facings but if you see an aerial view you can see it's basically like surrounded by inland cliffs it's like on a mesa yeah kind of plateau. yeah plateau no whatever it's up high okay wow, you can't just it's siege up it. high and <laughs> it's fine at one i think it's Arran. by the way i'm still stuck on this by the way and it's when a, we it's pause, a Scottish we'll... isle, so here okay. we are yeah. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Cat's done. <laughs> anyway, Mary was officially anointed and crowned as the Queen of Scotland at the age of nine months old in the chapel of Stirling Castle by Cardinal Beaton. If you're the cardinal and you're like, really, guys? Like, you're handed a nine-month-old and they're like, it's the queen. And you're like, are you sure? You have to understand... <laughs> Because everything is so closely tied to religion, they believe this child came from God. Oh, I get it. I think it's <laughs> still think it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But and that's what I they really hope that like someone in the crowd is like, the fuck? Like <laughs> that's our queen. It's a little baby. It doesn't even talk yet. It very. It, I don't even think it walks yet. Like, do they? They walk at like two, right? I don't. I don't, know. Have, I don't, I don't have a child. I don't know. know. Write us and tell us. Yeah, you guys. Parents let's know about there. the growth of a child I and when cats. you think they should become queens. <laughs> <laughs> what's the age of um queendom <laughs> at one point a treaty was actually signed with england to marry mary off oh, to henry the eighth <laughs> oh did, so did the child sign in her fingertip like what i'm gonna put my toe on there when the parliament of how scotland if like, you know how you get your footprints in mm -hmm. yeah like her little baby footprint is on the signature it's, ah, it's got like so a cute. crown on the toe <laughs> That's how I'm signing everything from now on. <laughs> when the Parliament of Scotland rejected the proposal, Henry VIII threw a massive hissy fit and decided to invade Scotland with the intent to kidnap the Scottish infant queen and force her to marry his son. Literally, when you say Henry VIII threw a hissy fit, I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah. History remembers <laughs> this war as the rough wooing. 
excuse the fuck the out of me. The rough wooing. The rough wooing. How about it's a temper tantrum by Henry VIII? How about it's Who attempted is the kidnapping? Temper tantrums. <laughs> oh. Also attempted kidnapping of a nine month old. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Now during the first, that you want to marry to your son. Who's probably not. At least he didn't want to marry her himself. Okay, let's counter. He probably he did, but then his mom was like, "No, that was the other one. That was that was her mom. He wasn't gonna try again. All right, he's like, look, I've already gotten my. I already know she probably has a little. She probably has a fucking witty pun coming in hot. All right. (laughs) During the first couple of years of Mary's life, the political and religious climate grew increasingly volatile in Scotland. Cardinal Beaton responded by arresting one of the prominent leaders of the Protestant movement. His name was George Wishart. I don't know anything else about him. Sorry, George. um, Other than he was burned at the stake. Whoa, now I'm really sorry. (laughs) The Protestant lairds of Scotland retaliated by having Cardinal Beaton assassinated. I really wanted you to say Cardinal Beaton. Beaton. (laughs) Maybe they did. Missed opportunity. (laughs) Oh, God. Missed opportunity. You had a pun. All set up for you. You said it. It was perfect. (laughs) Mary's guardians then whisked her away to a priory for her safety and then reached out to France for aid. It was nine months old. She's she's like five now. She's four or five. Okay, still semantics. (laughs) It was at this point that Mary's regent, James Hamilton, turned cloak and agreed to Henry II of France's proposal to betroth Mary to his son, Francis. Again, this is why regents don't work because they are not of your blood so they will turn on you no he was of her blood he was like a cousin a couple of times but they're not your mom (laughs) so they'll turn on you hamilton slightest provocation hamilton was promised a dukedom in france and french military aid against the english in return for the betrothal and just like that mary's fate was sealed he didn't he this is what mary of guise wanted true but so he just (laughs) turned cloak that's all he went from supporting protestants to supporting the catholics but now i don't trust you because you turned neither does finnan fair you don't i never said he was trustworthy <laughs> gosh gosh <laughs> are you upset finnan at the age of five mary left scotland to join up with her future french family france sent their naval fleet to accompany the young scottish queen and deliver her to france in style Despite the trauma of the first couple of years of her life, Mary was welcomed with open arms by King Henry II and his queen. Don't I didn't know there was going to be a test. Catherine de Medici. I know. (laughs) God. Just really wanted to help me out here. Nope. (laughs) And she was raised alongside her husband to be and the large brood of children that Catherine would go on to give France. When Mary journeyed to France, she was accompanied by a number of companions. Among the party included two of her illegitimate brothers and a quartet of female companions known to history as the Four Marys. Good fucking God, I remember that scene in the <laughs> one episode of Rain you made me watch. <laughs> they changed their names so they weren't all Mary. That's bullshit. <laughs> they, I know, they should have kept it. <laughs> so those girls all came from um, like very prominent Scottish noble families. And apparently they only had the one name yeah, to work one with. one fucking name? Like, Jesus Christ. Superstar is risen. She... <laughs> Today. <laughs> oh, we're going to get struck oh, down. no, um, it's fine. If I haven't been struck down yet, there's no chance. Sorry. She would go on to have the same extensive education that the rest of the French royal children were subjected to. This education was the epitome of what you'd expect a re- a renaissance education to consist of and mary proved to be exceptional at just about everything 
This would include learning how to read and compose poetry and prose, play the lute, needlework, and falconry. Look at you go. The only thing I'm interested in is the falconry. (laughs) Mary was also regarded as being a skilled horseback rider and a linguist, having been taught French, Italian, Latin, Spanish, Greek, and her own native Scottish tongue. I'm really jealous. I want to learn a new language, but I'm just, I can't. (laughs) And as if being an overachiever wasn't bad enough... (laughs) Mary was also said to be remarkably beautiful, even by the age of 15, which always grosses me out when, like, people, I'm like, she was a child. Yeah. Okay. Well, with my line of work, it's even even more gross for me. So I'm just like, okay. (laughs) Henry II famously said of his future daughter-in-law when he first met her. Don't um, be creepy. (laughs) That she was the most perfect child I have ever seen. Didn't she have, like, 15 other children? Yeah. What the fuck, asshole? (laughs) Other children are like, hey, with the sniffles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Despite the fact that she was granted a French education, Mary did experience some prejudice in the beginning from the opulent and stuffy French court when she first arrived. That doesn't surprise anyone. Many of them viewed Mary's companions as being primitive, and her own grandmother on her mother's side did everything she could to erase all traces of Scotland and its barbarism from the little girl. That's rude. Right? What the fuck? Just because you don't agree with that? So that's, that's what we need to remember about this story. Mary may have been Scottish by birth, but her time in France would make her more French by nature. Yeah. (laughs) And in time, French would even become her first language and her preferred tongue. Mary had the features all Renaissance artists like to romanticize in their paintings as well. Yeah, there's pictures. There's pictures. So she was very tall and slender. She was apparently like 5'11 by the age of 15. What? She had pale skin and red golden hair. And by the time she grew into her full adulthood, people were said to say that she was almost alarmingly attractive. Like it almost scared you to look at her because she was so beautiful, apparently. Interesting. It Um, would scare you to look at her because she was was so attractive. She was strikingly beautiful. I mean. Um, The same could not be said of her betrothed. Is that her? Yes. Catherine de' Medici was famously robust of health, the sort of woman who trailblazed her way across France without breaking out into a sweat and said to have a constitution of iron. Her children were not so lucky, and they were perpetually ill literally all the time. Oh, God. Frances was only a year younger than Mary, yet light years behind her when it came to social graces and presence. Isn't that common? (laughs) If Mary was vivacious and a light that lured moths to her flame, Francis was the awkward, snivelly kid that sat in the corner constantly rubbing his nose because <laughs> it was always running. That's uh, fine. <laughs> and he was particularly partial to getting ear infections, which will become a thing later. Okay, you can't make fun of children because I always had really bad ear infections when I was a kid. I actually did too. Yeah. But his were like bad. I mean... As yeah. we know. Yeah. If you've listened to the yeah, Catherine yeah, the Medici. You're right. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot really about that. Yeah. Poor yeah. guy. Oh, spoiler uh, alert. He died. Wow, give it away. You <laughs> fucking gave away the whole episode. <laughs> I'm just following your lead. Although Mary and Francis were betrothed as children, Henry II dragged his feet for nearly 10 years before allowing the two to marry. No, it was not because he was concerned about marrying the two when they were too young. Yeah, everyone calmed down about that bullshit. (laughs) It had more to do with keeping Mary's grasping and reaching uncles at bay. That's fair. While Mary is growing up in France, a couple of things are occurring that will go on to affect her reign with Francis. 
France has been at war with Imperial Spain for decades. By this point, France is on the last leg of its fight over the control of Italy and defense of its own northern borders. France is tired. The soldiers are tired. Henry II is tired. And we're tired. And France's coffers are tired, too, because now they're just about broke. Yeah, they're like, what the fuck? We've been broke for years. <laughs> Mary's military hero of an uncle, Francois of Guise, does manage to pull off a huge win at the city of Calais to reclaim some of France's dignity. Now, Calais had been an important city because it was the last stronghold on French soil held by the English. If you listen to our Eleanor of Aquitaine, Isabella of France, or Joan of Arc episodes, you already know the history of England claiming land in France. Um, this is the last of it, and it is gone. Oh, hey now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They're like, fuck you. <laughs> um, and Francois of Guise managed to take the city back from the English. Woo. This victory was a huge blow to the morale of both Spain and England because at this point, King Philip II of Spain was married to Queen Mary Tudor of England. So it was like a big fuck you to both of them. As a reward for his victory, Francois finally got to watch his prodigy of a niece marry the future king of France. And on April 4th, 1558, Mary Stuart and Francis, the Dauphin of France, were married at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Hell yeah! Now, the wedding was every bit the opulent and obnoxiously cliche Renaissance <laughs> wedding that one would come to expect from this time. Oh no! The ceremony was followed by a lavish banquet that featured several spectacles with Mary, the French royal children, and her own Guise cousins as the stars of the show. Everyone's like, weren't we poor? <laughs> <laughs> right? Hold this on. is why they're poor. <laughs> The entertainment included 12 man-made horses that were covered in gold and silver and ridden into the banquet hall by Francis's younger brothers and the Guise children. But why? These fake horses pulled carriages around the banquet hall that housed singers who were bedecked in jewels and playing tunes for the crowd. Just put them on a fucking stage! (laughs) (laughs) That was their stage. It was just mobile. Uh, It cost a lot of money! It does! Jesus Christ. Mary. I would be the worst rich person because I would still be like, mm, no, that's stupid and not worth my money. I mean, we would be just very frugal. Yeah. Yeah. It would have my we own would use it. though, for sure. I, I would use it to travel. You'd yeah. just never see me. Wow, you wouldn't even take me with you? You can come. Cut up. I didn't say you couldn't. You want to do your podcasting life. You must sponsor me if you get rich. Mary predictably made for the perfect, beautiful, and blushing bride, and she was a huge hit with the commoners that had gathered for the wedding. Her bridegroom, conversely, was observed to be sniffling in a corner as per the usual. You want my handkerchief? Or like, you good, bro? <laughs> Despite the fact that Francis proved to be unremarkable in appearance when standing next to his bride, Mary allegedly was very fond of, fond of him from the time of their youth. She's like, I love the way you sniffle. <laughs> Like, I, I love must, the way you whine when you're earrings. You. <laughs> also of note, oh, Mary signed a secret agreement to give away Scotland and her English claim of the throne over to the French crown should she die without producing any children. Wow. Yep. Was she coerced into that or like... I honestly think, like, really the thing you got to take away from this is she's more French than Scottish. She was so indoctrinated that she didn't... Pro- yeah. Have a hand that's kind of yeah, what I get from it. 
There's there's more reasons for this, and I'm literally about to talk about them. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> Maybe lead off with that. I don't know. <laughs> so Henry II and Catherine de' Medici had been very strategic when it came to finding marriage unions for their children. I'm sorry. Did you just tell me that Catherine de' Medici was strategic? No. Uh-huh. That's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Mary was the key to their ambitions in both Scotland and England. By the time of her marriage to Francis, England's monarchy had suffered a series of deaths that put Mary in line for the throne after Mary Tudor and Elizabeth Tudor. Mary had a claim to the English throne, again, through her paternal grandmother. Uh-oh. <laughs> so a little brief history lesson on the Tudors be brief, but here of we are. <laughs> England, which I know all about, and it's like you my did. favorite time period. I love it. I'm here for it. <laughs> So Henry VIII was notorious for his many wives, several of whom he killed because they displeased him in some way or because another. he's a douchebag! <laughs> <laughs> At the center of the drama was his desire for a male heir. Catherine of Aragon failed to give him one, instead giving him a daughter named Mary Tudor. The fucking audacity. He divorced her and married Anne Boleyn after a long courtship that ended with a beheading just two years into the marriage. But not <laughs> Sorry, before Anne... Could also give her, give her, give him a daughter named Elizabeth, but he was still denied that ever elusive son. Yeah, because you're an asshole. Assholes don't get sons. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know. It was his third wife, the very boring Jane Seymour, that finally gave him Edward. I hate her, and I don't. I hate her because she came after Anne Boleyn. Anyone could have come off, come after Anne Boleyn, and I would hate her. That's true. But mostly she was boring. Anyway. Oh, sorry, Jane. <laughs> Jane. Her name is Jane. Plain plain Jane. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Jane, plain Jane, lived long enough to pop the one kid out and then died Whoa. literal days later. Okay, wow. That's, now I feel bad for making her. <laughs> Henry finally got his son, but allegedly lost the love of his life, I guess. So, Jane you know, was the love of his life? He claimed that. He wasn't Catherine so, the love of so, his life, and then um, Anne was the love of his life, and now Jane is the love of his, yeah, his Jane life. Jane gets to die before she disappoints him, so he's going to always romanticize Jane her. Jane gets to die before he kills her. <laughs> Let's say it how it is. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't have enough time with him to disappoint him, so he'll forever romanticize oh, her, God. and nobody will ever compare. That's, that's fair. <laughs> I guess. In a weird way. <laughs> Go watch The Tudors. It's a great show. Henry Cavill's in it. That. I'm going to rewatch it. I'm going to like restart it. He's like almost naked in the first episode. Yeah, it's I glorious. <laughs> I'm just sure. What were we talking about? Uh, we need a minute. <laughs> Henry would go on to have three more wives, all of whom experienced varied degrees of success as his wives, but none would ever give him another son. Edward was it. This is the same Edward that Henry tried to have married off to Mary. I was like, don't you fucking ask me a question. And the rough wooing <laughs> of Scotland. The rough wooing. Here's where it gets complicated. Oh, God. It's what? Every time Henry married a new woman and had a new kid, he declared the previous kid illegitimate. You fucking asshole. Yes. Yeah, he's not great. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Mary Tudor was removed from the line of succession and declared a bastard when Anne Boleyn had Elizabeth. Yeah, no, she wasn't a bastard. You are, bro. <laughs> After Anne Boleyn was killed and Jane Seymour ugh, ugh, gave birth to Edward. Jane, Jane. <laughs> now I don't like her and there's no reason. <laughs> Hell yeah, it's working. <laughs> um, After she had Edward, Elizabeth was declared a bastard as well. Okay. Both Mary sure, yeah. and Elizabeth would later be reinstalled in the line of succession after their brother, 
um, thanks to the effort of Henry VIII's sixth and final wife, Catherine Parr. But the damage would always be done. The annulment of Mary Tudor's mother, Catherine of Aragon, and the condemnation of Elizabeth's mother, Anne Boleyn, would haunt both queens for the duration of their reigns. Because their political enemies would always call back that claim of illegitimacy to try and put another person on the throne that suited their own political Literally all you ambitions. have to say is like, it's Henry the fucking eighth. Nothing out of that man's mouth was true. So <laughs> so how does Mary, Queen of Scots, fit into all of this? She kills everyone. No. <laughs> that would be a fun story. <laughs> well, she, is, she technically fell in the line of succession after Elizabeth, as she was the next surviving legitimate heir with Tudor blood. She did hard quotation marks around that for everyone. Because the key word is legitimate. (laughs) There is no doubt of Mary's status. Her father died when she was six days old and still happily married to her mother. And she was crowned and anointed as a Scottish queen. At six days old. Actually nine months old, but still. (laughs) In November of 1558, Mary Tudor of England died without any children of her own. And so Elizabeth was crowned the next queen of England. Much has been made in movies, television, and books about the rivalry of Mary Stuart and Elizabeth. It is easy to romanticize the idea that two women of such big personalities simply could not exist on the same world stage. But if you've been listening to our podcast, you know that's not true. You know that is extreme bullshit and prejudiced of all... What? Of all men? Of all... Yeah. Yeah, because we already know the 16th century was an age of women in powerful positions across all of Europe. Catherine de Medici and Jean, the Queen of Navarre, would be leaders of their respective religious movements in France. Saida Alhura was Queen of Morocco and her naval policy a terror of the Mediterranean Sea. And Mary Tudor herself ruled for several years in England. The situation is always more complicated than something so simple as two women being unable to coexist with one another. So that was part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Women have a hard time coexisting because if we actually coexisted on a spectacular level, we would rule the world and then men would be sad. Let's destroy all the men. I'm here for it. <laughs> At the heart of the conflict was religion. Elizabeth was a Protestant and Mary a Catholic. England and Scotland would both be in a perpetual state of flux as people from both sides of the religious aisle struggled to gain the upper hand. This won't be as important for today's episode, but it will play a huge part in parts two and probably three. (laughs) (laughs) For now, all we need to know is that Mary is very aware of her position in the line of succession of the English throne. Despite the fact that Henry VIII had excluded the Stuart family from the line of succession in his last will and testament, the Catholic faction of England would always claim Elizabeth was illegitimate and Mary the rightful ruler of England. Because Elizabeth was Protestant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they also just rolled my eyes hard. They also stood on the soapbox that Henry only ever had one legitimate queen, and that was Catherine of Aragon because he had no right divorcing her. I appreciate that because I love Catherine of Aragon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, here's the interesting thing: by July of 1559, Mary updated her coat of arms so that it included insignia from Scotland, France, and England. Yes! There's <laughs> dolphins, there's lions. So, the dolphins represented Francis, because he was the dolphin of France. They look like weird, creepy dolphin fish. <laughs> the lions represented England, and then the fleur-de-lis also represented France, and then you also have That's bullshit, Scottish you can't represent heraldry. France twice! I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, yeah, she, um... 
She was very aware of her position and she was openly stating, I claim England as part of my kingdom. It still drives me insane. Like, you have France. And Scotland. Calm the (laughs) fuck down. Like, you have, you're the Queen of Scots and you've like never been in Scotland. Yeah. That's my whole thing, which is going to be a thing later. Anyway. Chill. Just like, maybe. Sure. <laughs> so speaking of indoctrination, like oh, you mentioned, okay. mm-hmm. Henry II of France was very encouraging of Mary pushing her English claim. Of course he was. He was whispering in her ear because he, he wanted England for himself. Like At least for his for, himself. for his legacy, for okay. his grandchildren. Yeah. After he Elizabeth his name to be in the history books. <laughs> after Elizabeth came to the throne in England. Henry II of France declared his eldest son and daughter-in-law to be the rightful king and queen of England. <laughs> Everyone's like, don't you have France Don't you Scotland? love it when kings from other countries are like, oh, actually, it's my child that's your king and queen. They already have a kingdom. They already have one. Right. You don't need more than that. <laughs> Stay in your fucking sandbox. <laughs> now, on July 10th, 1559, a little over a year after Mary and Francis were married, tragedy struck the royal family of France. Shit. Oh, yeah. Now, France and Spain had been at war for decades when both sides finally decided to call a truce due to the fact that both countries couldn't afford it anymore. That's not the tragedy, guys. No. (laughs) They decided to seal the truce with a marriage of Catherine and Henry II's eldest daughter, Elizabeth, to King (sighs) Philip of Spain. He was now single. Remember, his Mary died. Mary Tudor died. Yep. He's like, hey, guys, I'm single. And they're like, yeah, do we know why? And then then what happens, Kat? Mm -hmm. Was there a prophecy? There might have been. Did a a certain Medici queen wake up from a dream, crying and terrified because she saw her husband dead in the dream? And did he ignore her? Did he dumbass? Yeah. So basically, Catherine de Medici. Did he deserve to die at that point? I mean, honestly, if you ignore if you ignore a queen, he's like, bro, I just dreamt you died. (laughs) So, um, if you listen to the Catherine de Medici episodes, we go into this in more detail. But um, Henry had been prophesized by a couple of different um, astrologers basically saying um, in the year of whatever his age was when he died, I don't remember. um, It was like, you're going to have a massive head wound and you are going to die. Catherine woke up the day, um, this specific day of the joust with that dream. And she tried to convince him not to joust and he did not listen to her. And then what happened? And then he died. How did he die? With a fucking piece of wood in his brain. <laughs> it wasn't his brain. It was in his eye still. It went through his brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically Henry II went for a tilt, which is when two people in armor get on a horse. <laughs> Very nice. like, Yes. Thank you. Two knights. <laughs> Square off against one another, and then they go straight at each other with very long sticks and try to poke yes. each other. It sounds fun, but it's not, guys. <laughs> um, and he didn't put his visor down, so the lance went. He literally, his, his wife and plenty of other people were like, "Bro, you're gonna die on yeah. this day by something impaling you in the eyeball." And he's like, "I'm just gonna leave my visor up real quick, okay?" <laughs> yeah. So, um, he died. Yeah. And the sniveling 15-year-old Francis and his beautiful 16-year-old queen, Mary Stuart, are now the king and queen of France. I just realized there's a height difference between the two of them, isn't there? Yeah. Yes. Everything (laughs) about this makes me so happy. He's like, I married an Amazon. (laughs) Given that they were still children, it was not as simple as Mary and Francis becoming independent sovereigns of France. Mary's like, I was queen at nine months. I fucking got this, okay? (laughs) The situation was far too complicated. Um... 
Now we've joked about, uh, I should say, I've joked about yeah. Francis being um, a sickly child, but the situation was actually quite sad. Francis was not the dashing Toby Regbo that you see on the TV show Rain. He was prone to perpetual. He's more dashing than the picture you've got on your phone. <laughs> yes, you're not wrong. <laughs> so Francis was prone to perpetual dizzy spells and had problems breathing thanks to a respiratory infection he suffered as a child. Resemble that remark. <laughs> I was thinking of you when I wrote it. Oh, <laughs> she was thinking of me, guys. Hold on. She was thinking of me when she wrote about a sickly fucking child. I need to talk to you off mic. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh my god, we're gonna fight later. <laughs> you lost your spot, didn't you? Um, on top of that, he also was prone to ear infections. Now, this perpetual state of- I feel of... like I just made that better for you because I said I had ear infections as a child. Now she's like, I knew it. Well, it gets, uh, this might explain your attitude <laughs> right now. I'm not sickly fucking wife, okay? This might explain your attitude because <laughs> this perpetual state of sickness, um, well, th not this part, it made him appear weak. And it didn't help that his frustration over his perpetual illnesses often manifested in agitation and temperamental fits. Why do you say it like that, Rachel? <laughs> the only thing that seems to bring him any joy was hunting. And right from the start, Francis was all too happy to leave the running of his kingdom to his advisors. What do you, what's your question? Nothing. I don't have a question. I'm just saying I'm agitated because I'm an Aries. <laughs> I wonder if he was an Aries. I'm gonna look that up. Oh god, if he was, I'm just gonna cry <laughs> because now I'm fucking this kid to you, <laughs> and I'm married. I just feel like we should break up now, <laughs> guys. Guys, we have news for you. <laughs> there may be no part two or three. <laughs> By this point in time, Francis's two main advisors were Mary's two Guise uncles. Oh no! Almost immediately after Henry II had died. Francois and Charles of Guise whisked away the physical persons of the boy King Francis and their queenly niece. Where'd they go? Scotland? Yes. No. <laughs> oh, I was like, yeah, shit, sure, right. The King's death. No, they went to the Louvre in Paris. The King's death had been a tragedy, but it couldn't have happened at a more perfect time for the Guise brothers. That's like problematic. This is what we call a coup d'etat. Coup d'etat. Coup d'etat. Why do we always have such trouble saying that? Because you second guess yourself. Coup d'etat. Fucking Virgo. Coup d'etat. Just coup d'etat. <laughs> okay, now we're getting aggressive. <laughs> um, Francis may have been king in name, but once Mary's uncles had him in their grasp, they became the de facto rulers of France. Yeah, because basically the advisors rule the kingdom every yeah. time. <laughs> in the year that followed, everyone schemed and maneuvered to find a place for themselves in the new regime. Catherine de' Medici was queen mother now and had yet to fully establish herself as the formidable and immovable presence near the throne that she would later come to be known for. She'll get there. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Very soon. <laughs> Shrewd and pragmatic, Catherine contented herself to be Francis's maternal shadow. She donned the mantle of widowhood she would go on to be known for in history and stepped aside for Mary's uncle. She's the only person who's like, boo-hoo, the king died. Everyone's like, fuck yeah, the king died, we're in! <laughs> Catherine recognized the Guise power base was too formidable to penetrate <laughs> and so allied herself with them for the moment, lest she be set aside like the others. Use that word on purpose. It's a fun word. <laughs> Catherine also graciously deferred to her daughter-in-law, taking care to observe proper decorum and show her the respect due to her station as Queen of France. She even personally handed over the crown jewels to Mary. She's like, these are fucking heavy. I don't want them. <laughs> 
The two would go on to develop a solid working relationship together when it came to sharing the duties of a queen. Wait, didn't she take the jewels away later on? Spoiler alert. (laughs) You're one of our fans we've already known. (laughs) While Mary's uncle struggled to address the rising religious unrest in the country, Mary and Catherine were left to manage the French court. And they, um, so again, everybody makes this like big rivalry um, for Catherine and Mary that just didn't exist. Yeah. They famously received dignitaries and visitors to court sitting side by side in the throne room. Ooh, that's formidable. Right? I'm here for it. They were often found in one another's company, taking their meals together, and even listened to sermons in the chapel that they shared together. And it's been suggested that Mary may have even developed an interest for intrigue from Catherine during this time period. Uh Though Mary would not be near as successful as Catherine would go on to be later yeah, in life. Yeah, will be as amazing as Catherine, okay? <laughs> yeah, there's... I don't think we'll ever find another Catherine de Medici again. No. Mary was also very observant of the relationship Catherine had with her children, and Francis especially. In one of the letters she wrote to her mother back in Scotland, Mary observed the following. I believe that if the king, her son, were not so obedient that he does nothing but what she desires, she would soon die which would be the greatest misfortune that could happen to this poor country and to us all. Wow. Yeah. So she liked her. She very much recognized Catherine de Medici's worth. Yeah. Yeah. The entire time Mary had been growing up in France, she would have been aware of the growing religious unrest in the country. But it was during her tenure as queen that things escalated. By now, the Protestant faction of France had grown large enough that they had their own name in France, and they were called the Huguenots. Huguenots. The, Pro- <laughs> the Protestantism was not legally sanctioned in France, and Mary's uncles had continued the aggressive policy of persecution. Yeah, they were fucking monsters. Ye- yes. <laughs> they were very, very terrible. Were terrible. Oh, can you? I need to. I could, but I'm not this going up. to. And it's dying. Oh, is it? <laughs> it's at 10%. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> Several French nobles had also recently converted to Protestantism, but did so in secret for fear of their lives, should it be revealed. The highest-ranking Protestants within the French court had been Antoine de Bourbon, his wife, Jane the Queen, Jane the Queen. and his brother, Louis de Bourbon, the Prince of Condé. 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 I love saying it. Condé. It's so fun. Almost as fun as Dauphin. Prince de Condé. <laughs> Now, Antoine and Louis were both French princes of the blood who fell in the line of succession after King Francis and his younger brothers. It doesn't end well for them. No. (laughs) Well, one of their kids ends up king of France. Yeah, but they still (laughs) die tragically. Yeah, yeah, they all do. Yeah, a lot of people die in this story. doesn't, honestly? Right? I was like, very few people live in this story, and like, even those that live probably are. (laughs) You live, you're like, I wish I was with them. (laughs) Now, the Huguenots in France had secretly recognized the Bourbon brothers as their political leaders, but it was Louis that had the brass balls of the two and stepped into the leadership role of the Huguenot party. He's like, bro, I got this. Don't worry. Remember, because Antoine was all wishy washy. Yeah. Didn't he switch sides? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. times, I think, yeah. They're like, we're not, you, I Go listen to Jean doing. the Queen and Catherine de Jean Medici. <laughs> By now, the Huguenot faction had grown disenchanted with the Guise brothers, whose mismanagement of France had driven the country to disillusionment, starvation, and fear over religious prosecution. Yeah, because they were assholes. Yeah, they were terrible. And who warned us about them? Francis, the first of France. Francis, the first of France. <laughs> Louis de Condé worked with Huguenot leaders to organize a coup d'état. 
Did I say it right? Kudeta. Kudeta. You don't need the tea. Kudeta. I know it's, there's a tea there. A tea I the know freaking... there's a tea there, but. <laughs> anyway, he worked with them to organize a coup that intended to physically remove the Guise brothers from power and put the Bourbon brothers in their place. This uprising became known as the Amboise Conspiracy in history. At one point, King Francis, Mary, Catherine de' Medici, Francis's younger brothers, and several members of the French royal court found themselves barricaded away in Amboise Castle as the Huguenot faction geared up to siege the castle, kill the Guise brothers, and physically take Francis into their possession. This is problematic. Yep. <laughs> but someone talked. Oh, shit. And word got back to Francois of Guise, who decided to act preemptively and take the fight to the Huguenots in the surrounding forest and countryside. Do you remember this? Oh, kind of sort of. So anyone barricaded away in the castle would have been caught up in a cloud of fear, tension, and mistrust. And hunger. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, as he was one of the highest ranking members of the French court, Louis de Conde was actually present with the royal family. Whoa. His role was suspected in the conspiracy, but not yet confirmed. Oh, yeah. Um, so Louis was charged with protecting the king's physical person by Catherine de' Medici so that she could keep an eye on him the whole time. Yeah, Catherine's like... Fucking dagger eyes, yes. bitch. Dagger eyes. <laughs> Mary would have likely been present during all of this as well. Um, we don't really know how she felt during all of this, but we probably know not there. great. Yeah. <laughs> In the end, Francois of Guise's preemptive strike worked. Thousands. She's, she's also like, look, I had this happen to me. It's fine. We'll get through it. <laughs> Her and Catherine were both yeah. already like sieged as we're children. Like, you guys, we're, we'll be fine. <laughs> Keep your heads. We'll be fine. <laughs> In the end, Francois of Guise's preemptive strike worked. Thousands of Huguenots were discovered and killed in the surrounding countryside. Several of them were thrown into the nearby river to drown, and others were burned. Literally everything on this podcast is like, I want to chew, but also, what the fuck? Yeah, it's getting worse. <laughs> I know what we're leading up to, for sure. <laughs> Francois of Guise worked with Catherine de' Medici to uncover Protestant loyalists at court. Anyone linked to the conspiracy suffered a similar fate as the soldiers in the field. Several were hung and strung up on the ramparts of the castle as a warning to any other would-be rebels still alive. Like, that never works, though. The rest of the nobles were brought to the courtyard where they were executed in front of the royal family as traitors. Yeah, and she, what did Catherine do? She... Made all of her fucking children her children watch? to not turn away. Um, this is why it was like Catherine. And Louis de Conde was there as well, and he was forced to watch he's like his i'm died. actually wearing a diaper right now for reasons <laughs> for reasons no remember when like his one comment was if the french know how to do anything they know how to die Ooh, that's problematic. i don't think that's a skill you should have <laughs> <laughs> now as all of this was going on in france much had also happened and changed back in Scotland while Mary was away. Because Mary is still weirdly the queen of Scotland. And not in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> well, so we're getting into the regent thing that you touched on earlier. I did. So James Hamilton had reigned as her regent in Scotland for over a decade until Mary's mother, Mary of Guise, orchestrated her own coup of sorts and managed to snatch the regency away from him. Oh, mm -hmm. okay, okay. Um, so Mary Stewart. So she's exactly like the rest of her family. Yes. Oh, that's, shit. That's that's cool. what the takeaway is here. Cool. So when our Mary, Mary Queen of Scots, found out, she was eleven at the time, and um, she wrote a letter to congratulate her mother and addressed her as La Royne Ma Mère, which is the Queen, my mother. Yep. <laughs> During her tenure as regent in Scotland. 
Mary of Guise wrote frequently to her brothers, Francois and Charles, back in France. Relations between Scotland and France remained strong, and France supported Scotland's defense against England with French military troops. So that's not helping the money situation in France. They yeah. have troops on Scottish soil. Yeah. Yeah, and what, some people weren't happy about that. Yeah, some people. <laughs> Do you mean the English and the fucking Spanish? I mean the French, who are like, we're poor. Oh, yeah, and also the Scottish, who are like, what the fuck? What the fuck? And also the you English, who are like, what the fuck? Fucking kingdom. <laughs> no. I just feel like, have you ever seen that video of the parrot that's like, what the fuck? And it just keeps saying that over. Yeah. Like, that's everyone yeah. in the story. What the fuck? Now, Mary of Guise's mistake came when she began to install French nobles and allies to positions within yeah, the Scottish no, leadership and to, Privy Council. If you're not there 24-7, you <laughs> need to have them on your side. <laughs> Alienating them is not the way to do it. In time, the Scottish nobles grew resentful that French nobles were taking positions they believed to be rightfully theirs. What the fuck and the even, audacity? And even the these French nobles were directly interfering in Scottish in Scottish policymaking. Oh my god. Wow. That's great. But yeah. just as France was facing a huge religious cataclysm, so too in Scotland did they see the rise of the Protestant influence. Not the Protestant influence that did nothing to you, but worship differently. Now Mary of Guise's <laughs> initial policy had been one of clemency and moderation towards the Protestants within Scotland. Does this sound familiar? Mm-hmm. This had been more politically motivated than due to any religious sympathies on Mary of Guise's part. She needed to placate to the Protestants of Scotland in order to secure support for her pro-French policies. <laughs> that all changed after Mary Tudor died in England and Queen Elizabeth came to the throne. Oh, God. Now, England had turned Catholic under Mary's reign of terror in England. She burned all the Protestants. That's fair. That's She's fair called Bloody Mary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a reason. Yeah. There's a reason. Sometimes there are reasons, and they are legitimate. <laughs> when Elizabeth came to the throne, it was as a Protestant queen, and it would have consequences for everyone around her. Like any true scion of the Guise family, Mary of Guise knew Elizabeth's status as a Protestant would make her own daughter more amenable to the Catholic faction in England. English Catholics had already denounced Henry VIII's marriage to Elizabeth's mother, Anne Boleyn, oh as being illegitimate. We talked about that. Yep. <laughs> yep. So this stance of illegitimacy was their claim that Mary Stuart was the true heir to the throne of England. In order to give legitimacy to this line of thinking, they needed the Pope's support. And so it suddenly became more politically sensible to support the Catholic faction back in Scotland so as to put forth Scotland as the more Catholic of kingdoms to Rome. Okay, fuck off, though. Like, <laughs> <laughs> See how convoluted uh, this is getting? Ridiculous. We're just getting started. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Thor, Thor so agrees. Well. <laughs> he just woke up. He doesn't know what realm he's in. You should mention it's his birthday. If you eat that food, I will kill you on your birthday. It's Thor's birthday. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! Okay, don't lick me. That's weird. Hold on, we're getting the fucking animal kingdom to settle down in my house. And so, Mary of Guise's policy of tolerance towards Protestants quickly started to disappear. And she too adopted more aggressive strategies of persecution. The problem in Scotland was that the Protestant faction was more deeply rooted. Had the support of the Western Scottish lairds, and also the support of Queen Elizabeth, and England to the south. 
So it was the opposite situation that had been experienced in France. So you'll remember France is pretty much surrounded by Catholic countries. Yeah. So Protestants trying to like get a foothold have enemies literally everywhere. Yeah. Scotland's different because England is now Protestant. Yeah. They're like, so hey, look, we got them. They've they've got allies very close yeah. at hand. Very aggressive allies very close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Scotland was a Catholic country edging towards Protestantism and bordered by a powerful Protestant kingdom. In time, Scotland saw the rise of its own Protestant political party by a group that called themselves the Lords of the Congregation. <laughs> had a better name, but all right. <laughs> Similar to how the Huguenots of France denounced the corruption they witnessed in Rome and among Catholic parishes and believed the word of God should be accessible to all people without any intermediaries, the so too audacity. So too did the lords of the congregation. As Mary of Guise supported the Catholic faction within Scotland with French troops, Queen Elizabeth in England secretly funded Protestant Scottish efforts and even supplied military support that invaded Scotland's southern borders. So I just feel like the way they came to their name was they were all in a, a meeting, mm-hmm. congregation, if you will. Um, <laughs> and they were like, the yeah, we're going to do this. And they're like, yeah, wait, what's your name? The uh, Lords of the, the Congregation. Congregation. I think that's kind of what happened. <laughs> and they're like, that actually, that actually works. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, we don't have much time to get into the Lords of the Congregation today, but some important pieces on the Scottish chessboard are beginning to take their places and will be important to Mary's story later. Okay. Some of these men include her half-brother, James Stewart, the Earl of Morbay. You fucking killed me this time, James. <laughs> yeah. Archibald Campbell, the Earl of Argyle. And you one have of... the name Archibald and you're not going to use it? <laughs> <laughs> and one of Mary's biggest antagonists, John Knox, who will go on to be the spiritual leader of the Protestant Reformation in Scotland. Oh, I was say, wait, antagonist. You might have heard of John Knox in your history class. It sounds class. really yeah. familiar. Happening almost. But again, we learned this in seventh grade. So yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> Happening almost completely parallel to one another was the increasing fighting between Huguenots and the Royalist factions in France, and also Protestant reformists against Catholic Royalists in Scotland. Mary of Guise managed to withhold efforts made by Scottish Protestants to take over the country, but at heavy losses to her own forces. And then while barricaded away in Edinburgh Castle and anticipating a siege by Protestant forces, Mary of Guise suddenly became ill. She would end up dying eight days later of dropsy on June 11th, 1560. What the fuck is dropsy? I looked it up a little bit. So <laughs> I'm really glad you knew I was going to ask this question. <laughs> well, I was like, what the fuck is dropsy too? <laughs> so it's basically swelling of the skin that can lead to everything from heart failure, kidney and liver problems, and various infections. And then I think like heart attacks. Excuse the fuck out yeah. Swelling of the skin? That yeah, really especially familiar, like the honestly. legs. Okay, it's stop. like the blood vessels like just swell and then you just like float up, I guess. And then I it... look at my cankles swelling right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh my god! Oh god, she has dropsy. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't um, laugh about that. Don't please don't. <laughs> now, when Mary learned of her mother's death in Scotland, she was devastated. In the end, Mary of Guise's body was shipped back to France and buried in Rom's Cathedral. At least she was shipped back to France. Yeah. Less than a month after her death, the Treaty of Edinburgh was signed in Scotland, which ended in the removal of both French and English troops from Scottish soil. Oh, goddamn time. You mind your own goddamn business. Yeah, Scotland was pretty much determined to figure out its own fate without outside intervention. Weird. 
Now, Mary's representatives in Scotland had signed for her, but she famously refused to ratify the treaty on her end and grieved publicly for her mother and was like, I'm not signing that treaty because she wanted French forces to stay. Yeah, she's not in her right headspace. I mean, the year of 1560 was to be a year full of tragedy for Mary. She was given very little respite from her grief before another major tragedy struck and forever changed the trajectory of her life. Francis had been perpetually sick for the duration of their marriage and was only getting worse with time. The two had yet to produce any children either, and it has been speculated that Francis's many illnesses made it incapable for him to produce children and likely even consummate the marriage with Mary. I was going to say, he was probably so like just like sick all the time, and she's like, I'm not... We're not doing this right now. So the thing I read in the Catherine de' Medici book is they they suspect his testicles never um, fully fell. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, it's really sad. Poor guy. That's why every time I watch Rain, I was just like, no. No, I can't do this. <laughs> it's like, that's all wrong. <laughs> I just like, why would you marry that off? Like, I, I okay. hate to say that, but in a position of someone who has to create an heir like why would you not well, be I'm like, sure they expected maybe you just his testicles to, to eventually drop I don't know <laughs> I don't know but if the they logistics don't drop by a that. certain age I'm just saying yeah well you should probably be like you go sniffle in the corner well it doesn't matter marry her off it does not matter where okay it matter. <laughs> because on December 5th 1560 Francis suffered his worst ear infection yet and then it Died developed. Of an ear it developed into an abscess in his brain. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. What a way to go. And he right? was sixteen. That's that's. He a died at sixteen. Part. But also, he was married at sixteen. So let's. He was married at fifteen. They had a they had a happy year together where they were like sieged in the castle and yeah. She's like, this is the best marriage ever. Said no one. So Mary was now a seventeen-year-old widow. Good fucking god! Like. In the hours that followed her young husband's death, the political machinations of France were already in fast movement. Mary's mother-in-law, Catherine de' Medici, saw an opportunity to step into the power vacuum herself and orchestrated one of the most epic coups of all history and placed herself as the regent for her nine-year-old son, Charles. Now, to make a long story short, and I highly recommend she listening to part two of said, Catherine de' Medici. Fuck you, family of geese. <laughs> and family of bourbon. This is also true. So basically, both of the bourbon princes had been captured by this point because of their part within the Huguenot Rebellion. But the atrocities produced by Mary's uncle saw popular opinion in all of France shift against them. Catherine ends up negotiating a deal with Antoine de Bourbon to free his brother, the Prince de Conde, who was scheduled to die mm-hmm. um, if Antoine agreed to renounce the regency of Charles to her capably manicured hands. Yeah. Because as the one. first prince of the blood, it would have been, um, and he was actually present when Francis was dying, he would have been named as regent. Huh. And she was like, if you give it to me, I will... If you give it to me, I can Free probably your brother. won't fuck it up, but I am also going to fuck it up. <laughs> yeah, she did okay. She did okay. Until. Until. She did. Lots of murder. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mary Stewart was among the group of family members and nobles closest to the king, pledging their allegiance directly to Catherine de' Medici and Charles, while newly donning her own veil of widowhood. She was also given less than 24 hours to abandon her queenly apartments and give back the French crown jewels to Catherine. <laughs> She's like, but you, 
But you gave them to me. But you're not. Catherine's like, no, I want them back. I miss their heavyweight <laughs> asshole. <laughs> Up to this point, Mary Stewart has been mostly a bystander in her own story. She has been the subject of the machinations of her mother and her uncles, witness to the rising unrest of the Christian faction within France and doing her best to carve out a role for herself as queen in France. She has had very little agency so far, and though she played her role well and seemed to be a willing participant in it, it is likely she had little opportunity to make any decisions of her own. But that's all about to change. As a widowed 17-year-old queen dowager, Mary became a burden to French coffers as her position entitled her to certain lands in France and revenues from those lands. Ladies and gentlemen, a gnat could be a burden to French (laughs) coffers at this point. (laughs) True. She was also newly a bachelorette and a highly sought-out prize for anyone that had ambitions of securing Scotland's throne for themselves. (laughs) Yeah. Now, Mary's uncle shopped around for her new husband, Catholic, of course. Of course. um, Almost immediately, because unwed women are cattle and the Guises needed to find a way back to get power in France. Um, So a couple of the husbands proposed for her were a Netherlands prince and then Don Juan, the violent and certifiably insane son of King Philip II. That sounds like a hard no for me, but that (laughs) Netherlands one sounds interesting. (laughs) Now, thanks to the intervention of Catherine de' Medici, who was not too keen on Mary sticking around and finding another powerful husband that would help give the Guises the power they had just lost, both marriages fell through. Understanding that she had officially overstayed her welcome in France, Mary decided it was time to go back to Scotland and finally step into the name that history remembers her by and be the Queen of Scots. She's like, I only speak French at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I have no idea what our culture is anymore. I've completely forgotten. I was in a cult, basically. (laughs) So help me out here. (laughs) Now Mary has finally decided to take charge of her own destiny. And she has no idea what a political minefield is that she is about to walk into. Because oh, she's what, like 18, 17, 18? She's 17. What the fuck? I Maybe don't... 18 at the point she decides to leave for yeah. Scotland. Yeah, she's like, Which uh... she hasn't seen since she was five. Yeah, and also she's been through enough. Like, maybe retire at 18. This has been nothing. I know. <laughs> God. If you want to hear more about what Mary Queen of Scots goes through, you're going to have to come back for part two. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, because <laughs> it's about to get worse. <laughs> I do have a couple of random facts for us. Um, So John Knox famously said of Mary's birth that her father on his deathbed proclaimed, it came with a lass and it will gain with a lass. Um, Essentially, it'll end with a lass. The prophetic words were to suggest that the House of Stuart, which started with the marriage of Robert the Bruce's daughter, Marjorie Bruce, to Walter Stuart in the 14th century, would also end with a woman. The prophecy would later come true, but with a different Stuart queen. Ah, still a woman. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> Queen Anne of England. Hell yeah. Another random fact. Mary of Guise had been only 44 when she died, and her death came on so suddenly that one of the popular rumors to arise of the time... She was poisoned. ...was that Elizabeth had poisoned her, or that one of Elizabeth's supporters acted without her knowledge but on her behalf. Um, There is no evidence for this, but history loves to vilify female rulers, and Elizabeth was not the only queen accused of poisoning in this era. Do you mean to tell me that it might have possibly been Catherine who was? It uh, might have possibly been. Also been blamed for this. Catherine de' Medici, which she she 
she poisoned people. She did. She did. She, she, she did. did. She had gloves. <laughs> she, yeah. <laughs> Her perfume year. Okay. So I'm playing Elden Hot Ring. Day. I'm playing Elden Ring. And when you get to the capital city, you fight perfume years. And I was like, I know what those are. Uh, yeah. yeah, dude. Yeah. I'd be like, okay. I don't, I'm not, I'm not going in there. They're, uh, they're scary. Yeah, they like throw shit at you and they're kind of mean. Damn. Like, I don't leave your gloves at the door, please. Your gloves <laughs> All right, my sources for this episode were Wikipedia, Britannica.com, and Catherine de' Medici, Renaissance Queen of I France. I really there love Britannica.com. Stuff like, in there. I'm, I'm starting to love that site. It's it's given me. It gives you a starting point. Yeah, like it doesn't yes. give you a lot of information, but it gives you like enough where you're like, okay, now I know this happened. I'm gonna go look somewhere else. But yeah, I inevitably Wikipedia. go back to Wikipedia and then I pull up the names of the people they mentioned. But they're very good at like giving you like yes. the timeline in yeah. a very short and concise way. Yes. <clears throat> and that's yeah, that's what they did here. Yeah. So yeah, that's part yeah. one. That's Hell Mary Stewart. Yeah. What are you thinking so far? Um, I have I have issues, but I always do. <laughs> With what? Everything. <laughs> I think like at this Six point, days, I'm just like months, she's 17. she's just a blank ca- canvas. Yeah, still, she is. We don't know much about her other than the fact that she's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna claim France, Scotland, and England. She's just another female pawn yeah. on the board. Yeah. No. But she's about to like start taking action. She's so. about to be like, I want that crown. <laughs> she's about to be like why can't we all be friends and john knox is gonna be a dick and say because i'm not gonna bow to you we can't because i'm a bitch <laughs> not me, pretty much john knox. <laughs> everybody calm down uh, um well we have time for the random question fuck yeah you're answering first because i'm okay. really curious to hear your answer um i will say i stole this random question from a friend of mine um i don't think he listens to the podcast but if you, you do mike her. I stole the question. I stole it. I liked it. It's a very interesting question. So, if given the choice between living for one week or living forever, which would you choose? What did you say you thought I would pick? I feel like you would pick one week. Interesting. You were wrong. Damn it! I knew it. (laughs) So, when um, my friend first mentioned this question and I thought about it, I was like, on the one hand, living for eternity is going to get bored yeah. at some point. But I also know one week, I like. I know with absolute certainty, one week is not enough time to get everything done that I no. want to do. See, that's that's where yeah. my answer lies is one week sounds great, but like... If all you want to do is relax and enjoy life for one week, that's great. But yeah. for me, like there are so many places I want to travel there to. Are so many That weeks. would take a week there to get there. There are so many weeks in eternity where you can take... Yeah, break. <laughs> so this is what I was thinking. I was like, when I get done with all the traveling, which really I would go if if money wasn't an, an issue, yeah. I would. But be, after you would amount of time, money somewhere. isn't an issue if you're immortal. So yeah, because you would learn so yeah. many things, and yeah. Um, I after all the traveling and like being in Egypt for probably hundreds of years, oh, yeah, out there. Um, I would just take on different lives in the sense yeah. of like, I feel like being a housewife now. Mm-hmm. Let me go be a housewife. Okay. Now I want to train in martial yeah. arts. I'm going to go do that. Now I'm going to sit down and write my book. So I was like, I would just, I would do that. And then after hundreds more years, hundreds when I start to get years, bored, yeah. I was like, I'm going to start making up stories about myself and how I have this eternal yeah. youth and how I came to be this way. Hell yes. And like make people afraid of me. Oh, which, which at yeah. the edge of the woods that everyone's exactly. Yeah. So that's pretty much my answer. Like I, 
I would want to live the immortal lift fraternity because I love learning. I love yes. learning new mm-hmm. things, but like, I feel like I don't have enough time to learn everything. Yeah. So eternity, you have plenty of fucking time to learn everything. Yeah. You have plenty of time to relax and then, you know, buckle down and then you can relax again. You can travel. Yeah. You can do the things you want to do. So, you know, I can do all the things I want to do because I'm Aries and I want to do everything. So I just, mm-hmm. just, and, and then again, I would not have anxiety if I had all the time in the so world. That's, so that's <laughs> the other thing I was thinking. Cause I was like, I can't imagine living with the anxiety and the urgency of knowing I had a week to live and trying yeah. to do what I wanted to do. No, I would be so stressed that whole would week that so it wouldn't anxious. be worth it. Yeah. Yeah. But did you know you were going to die after a week? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. I think I think the idea is you know you have a week and that's it. See, or... if I didn't know I was going to die at the end of the week, I, like it would suck that I died that, at the end of the week. That takes away but, like, the point of the yeah, question, which is like, do you make the most of a yeah. week or do you tackle eternity? I love, um, especially in I'm like... I'm too curious for one week. Same. Yeah. I love, it's, it's a thing, especially like, what do you do with eternity? That's come up in so many different... Um, medias you can sleep for a fucking think, shit ton of time think about interview with the vampire yeah. and like how lestat dealt with his immortality and there's there's a bunch of other um some people are not built for immortality like it's, just, it's popular we're in not fiction. one of those people we would we would <laughs> take advantage <laughs> yeah we would take hardcore advantage of being eternal and yeah penny dreadful like, um deals with it a little bit with like dorian gray and yes. then um Billy Piper's character. Oh god, why am I blanking? Oh shit. She started as Barona and then became she was like She was Frankenstein's the, wife. The bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, but she gets her immortality and tries to find her place in life. And he's at the point where he's just bored with life. Yeah. And he has um he was honestly like the most boring character in that show until his very last scene. And Which then one? He, Dorian Gray. I was kind of yeah, disappointed. I was too. But then his very last scene talked about how he became so bored with immortality and he'd seen it all. And he was like, you'll be back because I'm the only other immortal you know. And she was like, I won't be back. Yeah. Because so you've think, accepted your lot in life and I still have hope. So I think this could change. tie in really well with our last question. The money, power. Love, time. Love, time and respect respect yeah. yeah so if you are the person who answered money and power is more important to you you would not do well with eternity no if you answered anything but you would do well with if eternity. you said time oh yeah you value time yeah. well, i could see valuing time being on both because if you know you're going to make the most of that one week but yeah Forrest growling oh. he's dreaming oh sweetie <laughs> you guys my dog growls in his sleep it's really great <laughs> but yeah that's yeah. a good question, right? You said that it was, was a hard one. I, I had a uh, you had to yeah. Think about it. I had a second where I was like, "Shit!" Like, but I love questions like those. I love questions. Oh, but I also don't. She's throwing up. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> oh. uh, what were we saying? Shit, I don't remember. I had a really good point, Jasmina. <laughs> um, what was my point there? We're talking about trying to think of what your answer would be. Oh, so I don't get bored easily like i am okay just sitting with myself and not doing anything so 
I, and when I get bored, I'm not uncomfortable with boredom. Yeah, that's actually really good. Yeah. That means so, you're comfortable with yourself. Yeah. So, you know, people are like, oh, you'd get bored. Oh, you'd get this. And I'm like, but I'd be okay because I'd find something to do. Yeah. And like, sometimes I want to be bored. I want to have nothing to fucking do. Yeah. But if you don't have eternity, if you have that like time limit, boredom is scary because you're yeah. wasting time. Yeah. Boredom is a waste of time if you have a fucking That's deadline. why I was saying like time is still both is important in yeah. both scenarios, but for different reasons. Yeah. So I would, yeah. I would rock immortality. Same. For sure. We'd take over the world. We would. Would we though? <laughs> we'd take not. over the world for like five minutes and, and be like, then, this is fucking stupid. Yeah. Why the fuck did we did this? Let's go. Why the fuck did we did this? <laughs> my grammar would obviously die I as mean, I got older. We would just make up new grammar. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> we change the world in little ways. We would. We would. And it'd we be would fun. be like. We would totally be like the tricksters. <laughs> I would just be an age-old crone and seer yeah. that's like, why is that the children come to you and I pretend I'm going to eat them, but I just give them candy. Kill me. I don't want children at our door if we're living together. I'm just saying. Who said we're living together? Oh, okay. Again, we're on the verge of breaking Can up. Can you imagine living with no, me for I, eternity? No, okay, we would need breaks. No. So on those I breaks. I can't live with anyone for five minutes. It's like, this is bad. On those breaks, I'm giving children okay. candy and a horse. Yeah. And I'm going to scare the shit out of them if yes. they walk in and walk out. <laughs> I'm going to find a way to like shift into a wolf. Just prowl your parameter. You discover like the power of transmutation. He totally would. <laughs> 100%. We'd have some cool ass powers by the end of it. Yeah. Because <clears throat> there is no way. Write that story. Okay. <laughs> well, you have been listening to uh, Difficult Damsels. Yeah, Difficult Damsels. <laughs> you can reach us at difficult.damsels at gmail.com if you want to give me crap for my Scottish in this episode. If you give her crap, I will fight you <laughs> online. Because <laughs> if you're in Scotland, I, I mean, invite me and we'll fight there. Like, I'll go, I'll travel. You're like, fight me and then marry me. Half mouth will travel for fights. <laughs> Where else can we be found? Uh, we're also on the social medias. Oh, we're only on Facebook and Instagram. There's like a billion social medias now. That's fun. Uh, yeah. yeah, we're just. I've debated doing TikToks. That's just so much work. Yeah, I don't. That requires my face to be visible, so. Yeah. I have a face made for Not necessarily. Radio. You can just put a picture up of like Olga of Kiev and be like, hey, she sent flaming sparrows into a city and burned it to the why, ground. Why would we emphasize that horrible part of her story? Because it's like, like it's terrible, but it's also, it's also pretty, bad. pretty badass. <laughs> Go listen to the Olga of Kiev episode. Yeah, if you haven't, fuck off because you're clearly not a great fan. I'm just kidding. Please don't fuck off. We love you. <laughs> and um, as always, you know, don't fuck off, but stay difficult. Stay difficult. <laughs>